Hello, hello, and welcome back to the Lit to Lens podcast, a safe place for folks who like the movie more than the book. We are recording this episode on Monday, January 1st, 2024. Happy New Year, everybody. Welcome to episode number 77, where we will be discussing this year in adaptations. Um, I'm your host, Will, and with me to talk things over is the reader, the watcher, and the TikTok consumer himself, Mr. Eric. Say hello to the people Lee. Hello, Happy New Year. I think I'm a pawn of the Chinese government now that I'm just like spend so much time with TikTok. You know, I need more time with like books and the written word and less like videos of people dancing and making cocktails. It's, it is very distracting, but it's good that you're, somebody's consuming it of the millennial generation. Yeah. I feel like looking at my reading performance the last couple of years since I got TikTok, it's like been a steady downhill race. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I, I feel like 2020, I read like 30 books and then each year since it's just been like lower and lower and oh, lower. No. <laughs> it's like going to bed and just like, instead of reading, which is what I used to do, I just scroll TikTok for like 50 minutes accidentally. And then I'm like, I guess I should read. They've won. Read for five minutes, fall asleep. It's great. They have officially won. I don't think that was in doubt. It's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, cool. So um, basically, this is just going to recap uh, the year in adaptations for 2023. So we each have our top threes of the year. So our top three books will be read. And the rule is that the books can be from any time as long as we read them in 2023. And uh, our top three films of the year, the rule there is that we the film must have been released in 2023, which obviously means that we watched it in 2023. Uh, and then obviously uh, at the very end, we will give everyone our favorite episode of the year, uh, whether it's our favorite episode based on content or we had the most fun, um, just to sort of do it because it's fun. And this is our podcast, so we can do whatever the hell we want. So that's right. It's our fourth annual fourth annual episode doing this too. So if you're interested in in listening to us over the years, uh, give our our favorites. You can go back in the archives and do that. I think one of the years I had COVID yeah. and I I did this podcast with like a terrible voice. Oh, probably 2021. No COVID this year. We're healthy. We're wealthy. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely right. Okay, cool. Let's get right into it, Eric. Give me your number three book for 2023. Yeah, so checking in at number three for me is A Visit from the Goon Squad, which is a 2010 book written by Jennifer Egan. It's less than 300 pages. Um, It's a, I think people have called it a book. People have called it a collection of short stories. It's really just kind of like a work of fiction um, with 13 interlapping stories set around uh, a couple of main characters. One is a a record company executive um, and his assistant. And it's just a kind of just like different angles on these people's lives and their relationships um, during a a long period of time and a a sort of like globe jumping, um, with a globe jumping scope. It goes from New York to San Fran, Italy, Kenya, um, the structure, as I mentioned, is, is unique. It's sort of like interlocking stories and I, it won the Pulitzer. And I think it was kind of like the best example of this, which is a, a thing you see now, which is, you know, collections of short stories that, um, detail like one character and other characters pop in and there's sort of like an interconnected world. Um, but in addition to that, it also has like a kind of like postmodern, um, approach to narrative. There's one chapter that is told as a PowerPoint, um, which is kind of, Oh, weird. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So it's a, it's a really well done book. Um, also challenging because like, you know, reading a PowerPoint for narrative is is kind of strange when you're used to just reading, you know, traditional third person 
omniscient works. So it's a, uh, I don't know. It was, it was fun, fun, little read less than 300 pages. So it's a, a low commitment, but, um, big, big pleasures. Nice. Um, had you read any of her stuff before? No, this was kind of a spur of the moment thing. I think we talked about this on one of our episodes that Olivia, um, what's her name? Olivia Wilde was going to adapt this or the candy house. One of the, the newer Jennifer Egan. Um, and I just, sometimes I go through the library app and just like add books that I think I'd like to read. And sometimes they're available when I have an open slot. And, uh, that was this. Nice. Okay. So it kind of came to you at the right time. Yeah. Overall, like kind of a bad year of reading for me. I mentioned off, uh, Mike, I guess read 21 books out of a goal of 26, but I, it's just like kind of a, a, in a rut. I was rotting as the kids say, you know, (laughs) you are rotting. You don't look too, too great. Are you doing all right? Yeah. My, my, uh, one of the Peloton instructors I I follow said her goal for 2024 is to do less rotting and more fermenting, which is basically just like rotting, but getting better while rotting (laughs) like, like kimchi or, you know, beer, I guess. So yeah. Yeah. Fermenting into a nice, uh, stout. That's all how you, you know, present yourself. Right. That's true. That's true. Uh, well, cool. All right. So that one was called, sorry, A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, right? Yep. Cool. All right. Number three. Um, so for my number three, um, <laughs> you're going to love us. It's, uh, the, the book is called South of the Border, West of the Sun by, you guessed it, Haruki Murakami. Um, Ding. The novel tells... <laughs> Uh, the novel tells the story of Hajime uh, from his childhood in a small town in Japan to his adult years in Tokyo. He meets Shimamoto, a girl with polio and a fellow only child. They spend their time together talking about their interests in life and listening to records on Shimamoto's stereo. They're separated in their high school years and grow apart. Um, they are later united in their 36th year. Hajime is now the father of two children and owner of the successful jazz, two successful jazz bars, excuse me. Shimamoto gives no details of her own life and appears only at random intervals, haunting him as a constant what if meeting Shimamoto again uh, sets off a chain of events that forces Hajime to choose between his young family and the magic of uh, the past. So this was a a rather short read. I think it was probably less than 300 pages. And of course I have to do uh, at least one Murakami per year. Um, And this, although is not my favorite Murakami was definitely one um, that was, uh, was 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 great compared to everything else I'd read, and um, and it also had a similar story to a, a film that came out this year that a lot of people loved called Past Lives, where somebody from your past sort of re-enters their life and sort of makes you question um, what your life would have been, and you know if you'd make different decisions and how important is your current life to you now compared to maybe rekindling things of the past. So just thought it was an overall really interesting read, kind of ghost-like in a way. Um, the character um, Shimamoto, the way she drifts in and out of his life, and sort of upends his life in what in different ways, but um, pretty pretty beautiful and beautiful story, and yeah, it was good. Uh, I know you like Murakami a lot, and obviously this is a running joke, but how is your goal to be like a completist, or and how how close are you to to achieving that? Definitely to be a completist. Um, I think I'm like a little bit more than halfway. I haven't read IQ or 1Q84. I haven't read Dance, Dance, Dance. Um, there's probably four or five others I haven't read. They're like usually bigger ones that I haven't read. I've knocked out like a lot of the smaller ones. Um, 1Q84 is like sitting on my shelf, like just staring at me because it's, it's so that's massive. big. It's really big, right? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I think it's I think it's over a thousand pages. And I found the fir- hardcover first edition in, when I was in Victoria. So of course I had to buy that, uh, and that one's even bigger. But I actually, have it right here. But I'll show you. I'll show you later. Yeah. But yeah, to be a completist, I think. That's so. One Q eighty four is kind of his like big work, right? I think it's his most famous and his largest. Um, it's technically three books within one. Um, so you could technically split them out into three separate books, but um, that is, I believe, his biggest book, if I'm not mistaken. But he has a few of them that are like 700 pages, uh, if not more. So maybe this is the year. Probably not. Probably not. We'll pause the podcast just so you can read that book and then bring it back. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, cool. So that was my number three. So Eric, what is your number two? My number two is a 2022 release called Cinema, Cinema Speculation written by... Uh, Quentin Tarantino, the famous director. This is his first work of nonfiction, and it's basically a collection of film criticism and theory uh, and his own personal journey through these films. It's it's kind of set up chronologically, like, you know, say this movie comes out in 1974. Here's what I was doing in 1974 and how this movie had an impact on me. Um, and it combines, like, his own life with his thoughts and feelings towards some of these famous movies obviously tarantino if you've seen his movies or know anything about him he's got a pretty singular voice which can be kind of hit or miss for some people i tend to like it um and that combined with his just like crazy knowledge of a film uh it's a really interesting book for anybody that is interested in movies and especially interested in movies from like the mid to late 70s because that's what a lot of this book details um overall really enjoyed hanging out with it another one that is like 300 ish pages so 2023 year of the short book for for me over here so is it is it like his favorite films of all time or is it sort of like the films it's just it's just the kind of the movies that i don't want to say the movies that made him but like movies that he would have seen as a kid and his mom he had a single mom and she was also a pretty big movie watcher and her and her like boyfriends or stepdad or whatever would just take him to these like super adult movies as like a nine or 10 year old. So he had a really early introduction into like adult content and adult content is like, you know, rated R, not like whatever rated X. But um, yeah, it's just sort of like how when he was nine, he would see the Godfather and how it influenced his, like feelings and and his childhood and how he kind of like didn't fit in because he was a crazy movie watcher but he also looking back knows like oh i was actually way smarter than all these people i was i was being challenged earlier than anyone else yeah that's cool um what were some of the films uh it's some of the i have to go back and remember but it wasn't like it wasn't like the godfather and then jaws you know it was it was deeper cuts um some of his mom's boyfriends were black and there was like a big like black exploitation um like wave that was happening at that time so he would see a lot of like black led films by Jim Brown who's the like famous NFL running back who also starred in a bunch of movies um and I I can't remember the names off the top of my head but uh like yeah kind of like underground lesser seen lesser remembered stuff interesting that's cool awesome Quinn, so is he, I wonder if he's thinking about writing more books. Could be. He wrote a novelization of uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I think, when that movie came out in 2019. Oh. So he, 
he, he famously he's uh only supposed to he only says he's going to direct 10 movies and he's directed nine so his next movie will theoretically be his last so maybe he'll transition into yeah writing interesting something to uh, look out for and that is uh, cinema speculation by quentin tarantino thank you eric okay number two for me is uh the book wool by hugh howey um this was one of our episodes um i think it was over the summer because uh, it was adapted into a an apple tv uh tv series um which was called silo so wool um is set in a dystopian future where a community exists in a giant silo that extends hundreds of stories underground. 10,000 people live in a society bound by regulations they believe are meant to protect them. Um, I'd read this book maybe like 10 years ago. Um, not when it first came out, but maybe a couple years after that and just loved it. So was really excited to tackle it again, read it again because I'd forgotten most of it and tackle it again sort of from a different perspective with the TV adaption. Um, but obviously, it's great world building, um, great dystopian sort of setting, right? Stuck underground, hundreds of levels of, or 144 levels of uh, people living in this in this weird place. Um, it's got mystery, it's got science fiction, it's got conspiracy, it's got love story, it has everything that you could want. So I think it's a really um, approachable science fiction uh novel that is easy to read it's it's over 500 pages so it's a little bit longer than most but it's something that i think anybody can sort of connect to and and come away with something um come away with i don't know i don't know what the phrase is but you can get something out of it but um but yeah so that was that was my number two um and excited to hopefully see season two although i can't remember if there was news about it being canceled or something were you saying that I think I reported that on the podcast when we did it, but I don't think that was true. Your sources were lying to you. Most things I say on the podcast are fake, so. Well, that's it, true. It's a long con we're pulling on all of our listeners. <laughs> um, cool. And that is number two for me. Um, Eric, what is your number one? Yes, I, I read Will 2 Will, Will and enjoyed it. Uh, not my number one. I was thinking you'd probably put that on your list. So in effort to spread the love here, I have a different book. Uh, it's called Slouching Towards Bethlehem. It's a uh, book from 1968, uh, or I should say it's a, an essay collection from 1968 written by Joan Didion that describes her life and um, experiences living in California during the 1960s. Uh, I, I guess I've talked about it on the podcast before. I kind of like am stuck in the 70s right now in terms of like watching movies, reading about movies, um, all that. So this is this is late 60s, so we're almost in the 70s here. It's kind of, it's like the, the time before the time. Um, and this is a famous collection. I hadn't read any Joan Didion before this, or maybe like one-off um, essays. But this is a pretty small book, again, um, that is really good. She's a really good writer. She's very insightful. Um, and I think it's kind of a cool snapshot of a time and place that a lot of us have like preconceived notions about, which is like, you know, hate Ashbury, San Francisco, mid sixties, counterculture, you know, LSD, all that stuff. Um, and to have basically like the boots on the ground reporting of what the time was actually like is really cool. Uh, it's sort of like a historical document of a place that you think of 
but um, maybe it was like a little bit more menacing or uh, shadier than the sort of like flower power version of it you might think of today. Um, so for that reason, this was my number one. Uh, I probably will read more Joan Didion. And she, I think she passed away last year. So that was one of the reasons why I wanted to read this. Um, and she had a, she has a documentary on Netflix or it used to be on Netflix called the center will not hold that I also watched, um, and would recommend, but you know, sometimes will you have to read the Titans and the Titans are good. I think that's the lesson I continue to learn in my life. Is that how that works? Sometimes the good things are good, right? And you <laughs> gotta know. It's good to find out. That's cool. That's, I'm glad you read that and brought that up because my, um, my mom is a big fan of Joan Diddy and I think she's read some if not most of her stuff and um, was trying to actually get me because I think we were actually watching that Netflix documentary once and I just had no interest because I had no context in who she was. I'd heard of her before, but I wasn't really aware. Um, but I, her name kept pop, popping up and uh, she she's an author first, right? She wasn't like a painter or anything or like a musician. Yeah, she she wrote some novels. There was a, I think like Ben Affleck and Anne Hathaway made a movie version of one of her novels like two or three years ago. Um, I think we, I, in my mind, considered doing it for the pod and then it got like terrible reviews. And so, yeah, you can't let Ben Affleck do things. No, anything he does is, is, is bad. (laughs) Remember that other, um, he did an adaptation of that Dennis Lehane book that we were thinking about doing. Yeah. Live by night. Yeah. Yeah. And it was bad. It looked cool, but it was bad. It did look cool. He's, his suits look good. Yeah. That's where they spent all their money on, not the screenwriting. It was just the costume department. Yeah. Uh, cool. So that was called, the, uh, excuse me, Slouching Towards Bethlehem by Joan Didion. So check that out um, if you have the time. Uh, so my number one uh, for 2023 is called The Creative Act, A Way of Being by Rick Rubin. Um, this is... Basically, I think this is Rick Rubin's first novel um, where he just gives general musings on his thoughts on creativity, inspiration, um, and sort of the process around just creation in general. Um, So it's a, to give you the synopsis here, the creative act is a beautiful and generous course of study that illuminates the path of the artist as a road we can can all follow. Uh, It distills the wisdom gleaned from a lifetime's work into a luminous reading experience that puts the power to create moments and lifetimes of exhilaration and transcendence within closer reach for all of us. Um, I think it's, uh, I think it's actually 400 pages or so, but actually the, the spacing and the text is, so, so the text seems to be larger a little bit than normal. And then the spacing between each of the lines is, is larger as well. It gives, it's funny. It's actually a pretty quick read, but it's also like a non-stressful read. Um, when you look at the pages, it feels a little bit more, uh, there's just more space. So it feels like more open, I guess, in a way, but, um, the content inside of it was really, really insightful. Um, lots of interesting tidbits on how to get yourself into a creative state or out of a rut, uh, by just doing really simple things. Um, it just has a sort of <clears throat> like really interesting philosophical view on, creativity and just humans in general and how a lot of a lot of our purpose is just to is to just create um and that's sort of what separates you know humans from a lot of different um 
you know, uh, other species on, on earth, but it was, uh, it was also just a, sort of a therapeutic read in a way it was, it was easy. It wasn't, it didn't challenge you, uh, too much. It was more sort of to allow you to sort of absorb the information in sort of a clean and easy way, um, to, to come away with. So that was my, that was my number one. Cool. He's a famous music producer, right? Yeah. So he's, he's, um, worked with people like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, um, tons of other bands like Rage Against the Machine. And also who's that band that did Chop Suey? Um, I, for their, they're escaping me now, but lots of other, lots of other contemporary ones as well. Um, System of a Down. System of a Down. Thank you. Um, there's a really interesting story about how they came up with one of their their lines where he they were stuck um, stuck writing like the the bridge I guess or part of the chorus and they couldn't figure out the right words or the right cadence so he just opened a random book pointed to a page and whatever line that he pointed to eventually became like the line of the song because it worked really well and that's sort of like his philosophy is just sort of to like not necessarily do random things but like essentially do random things to sort of spark create or spark ideas um, or spark conversation or thoughts. So it was really cool. I uh, would definitely recommend it. And, uh, and yeah. How are you going to apply some of the things that you learned into your, your daily life? Oof, that's a tough one. Um, well, I don't know. That's a good question. I'll have to figure that out because that is something I struggle with, especially with like even this podcast and other and other things that I dip my toes in. I find it hard to sort of like keep it going, um, especially when you have stuff that piles up. But I don't know. That's a good question. Um, yeah. Already you're trying to like copy his beard style, I feel like yeah. you're going for the Rick Rubin beard. <laughs> I need to dye it white is what I need to do. Well, I'd let it go white naturally. I think you don't want to dye it white. <laughs> That might be the new trend. Well, frosted tips are back, so I imagine like frosted beards are probably like not far, not far away. You could start that, right? <laughs> Trendsetter, probably not. I'll probably pass. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. So um, that is it for our top three books of the year. So let's get into the films. Um, I will go first uh, with my number three film of the year. Um, which was Oppenheimer. Um, so Oppenheimer um, uh, is a film that chronicles the career of J. Robert Oppenheimer with the story predominantly focusing on his studies, his direction of the Manhattan Project during World War II and his eventual fall from grace due to, his 19, due to the 1954 security hearing. Um, the film was directed by Christopher Nolan, stars Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, and a host of other actors, and Eric's favorite, Matt Damon. Um, why I liked it... Um, I really loved, actually did not like, like it upon first viewing. Um, I thought it was incredibly rushed and felt like stressful watching it like throughout the entire thing, because it just kept building pace for three hours, which felt, which, you know, from a health perspective is probably not the, the healthiest thing to, to put yourself through. Um, but after watching it a second time, um, I was able to absorb more of the information and sort of, uh, think about it more as, as a whole, as opposed to trying to collect each and every line that was said. Um, and I thought it was, it was just so much better upon second viewing. 
Um, and, then, and then I really love the opening scenes where he is thinking about physics and they have these scenes where they sort of display particles and atoms and how they interact. And I thought that was really inventive and that was probably one of like my favorite scenes of the year by far. And then just as it's historical context and it's relevance to today, unfortunately. Um, I thought it was, it's very timely being where we are in the world. But um, so that was my number three. Lovely. My number three is also Oppenheimer. Oh, I baby. Will, I'll just, I'll second. Next one. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I think Christopher Nolan is a uh, director whose work gets a lot of um, praise and adulation, especially recently. Uh, I do think the 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 story suits him well because it's one of the like biggest, grandest um, world events of all time. And I think Christopher Nolan is somebody who does huge spectacle really well. And so these two things are really, I think, perfectly married. Um, for me, the Trinity test, when they test the atom bomb, which is kind of like the climax of the movie, is really, really good and tense. And he does a lot in his all of his movies with time and, um, you know, narrative structure. But I think like the, the, the test itself, the countdown, uh, all the drama, the melodrama around it is really well done. Uh, it's, it's a big movie. It's three hours. Right. But uh, like the performances are really good. Mostly the men, like I don't, he, he, he doesn't do women very well. You mean, right. Um, but military men, you mean, write them. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, Cillian Murphy is really good. Uh, Robert Downey Jr. My other guy, really good. I think possibly best supporting actor winner. Um, Cillian Murphy, probably best actor winner. Probably Oppenheimer best picture, you know? Who knows? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think it's still the front runner. I haven't looked at it in the last week or two, but um yeah, I feel like the actor races are gonna be quite close. Um we can talk about it at a later date, but I think Bradley Cooper is is coming coming in hot for the best actor. No. No. <laughs> is your number two movie Maestro? Get out of here. <laughs> you have to wait and see, baby. <laughs> yeah, so Oppenheimer for me, number three. Um, really good. Can't wait to watch it again. I put it on my Christmas list to the 4K DVD, but you know they that DVD sold out. Are you so serious? Couldn't couldn't get it. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Physical media will. I don't know if you know about it, but people like it. I've heard of it. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm glad we I'm glad we tied here or we had the same opinion on at least one of these, which is good. Um, cool. So that is number three, Oppenheimer, directed by Christopher Nolan. Um, and then my number two uh, this year is Bo is Afraid, directed by Ari Aster. Um, I think I saw this film back in May, if I'm not mistaken, this year. And um, just just a chaotic, tension-filled film for three hours, which is another, like, probably not healthy thing to put yourself through. But it was just bonkers. Um, it was – it sort of brought you into this world, and then you just – it just you just kind of sat there and took it all. Uh, there was no sort of leading to the next thing, or there was no sort of you, you couldn't really guess what was going to happen next. Um, you just sort of had to buckle up and enjoy the ride, and it was really fun, really fun. Uh, lots of tension throughout, lots of like awkwardness, and also funny par- par- parts of it as well. Lots of weird, really interesting characters. And just lots of weird subplots as you kind of go through it. And then the ending is, is I don't think I understand how, like, or what it means or 
um, if it even happened. <laughs> but it's one of those one of those movies where um, I definitely want to come back to and watch again uh, when I have like when I'm in the right mental state and I and I'm like relieved of stress because um, I'm going to be putting myself through it. But um, yeah, and it stars Joaquin Phoenix in uh, the best role he did this year because Napoleon was garbage. So I shouldn't have added him in our Oscar pool. I thought Napoleon was going to be like easily a best actor for him. But, you know. Oh, yeah. You shoot your shot. Sometimes it goes in. Sometimes it misses. I remember when Bo Was Afraid came out, there was a lot of online discourse about the movie. Um, people having varied opinions. I haven't seen it yet. I think it's streaming on Max, maybe. Or it's available somewhere. Um, so I definitely want to check it out. I know, I want I want you to tell the people, Will, your last, like, three days. Because oh, boy. I feel like you've seen, <laughs> like, 15 movies in three days. And you drove from like one end of the United States to the other to see them. <laughs> yeah, I went through, so I had, I had off work all last week um, between Christmas and New Year's. And I, you know, had a few things to do, but not a whole lot. And I realized that we were going to do this episode, I think, you know, late last week and was just cranking out movies. Um, I think I watched, I was counting it earlier today. I think I'd watched like 20 something movies. 26 movies in December and then like 15 of them came within the past like week, I think, uh, which is just, it was fun. I have to say it has been a lot of fun actually. Um, I saw three yesterday, three the day before. It's fun. It's just, Crazy. Uh, you know, <laughs> but you, I mean, you, you, I know you log where you see them. So, you know, somewhere in Maryland, somewhere in like yeah. one part of DC and one part of another part of DC. Yeah. So you around. Yeah. Yeah, baby. You know, I got I'm like, I got wheels. You know, I got I got my bike, my bicycle, so I can move around. I got the metro, public transport. You know, support that. You know, so that's a really uh, good analog existence you're living. Yeah, thank you. Well, I do. In order to get into the metro, I still use my phone. So some digital. I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> and you're wearing an Apple Watch now too. That's all the whole thing. I know. No, no. I just we just found out, or I just found out that we could challenge each other, and I'm sure everybody's aware of this, but. Um, it's one of my favorite features now. So you can comment on people's exercise. <laughs> yeah, it's wholesome. We keep it. We keep it uh, nice. Yeah, it's good. Supportive. Yeah, for now. We'll see what happens later. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, so Eric, what is your number two? My number two is poor things. Uh, we just did a podcast episode on that. So if you want the fuller picture, you can check that out. Um, just like a bananas Emma Stone performance in a one of the like most creative but also like gloopily weird movies that I've seen in in some time um uh just really good storytelling um really really well done character journey uh just like very unusual and uh I don't know like I I found myself thinking about it several weeks later and you know, there's there's still a bunch of movies that I haven't seen from 2023, so it might my my top three might change as I do that. But uh, I feel pretty confident that Poor Things is is still going to be a favorite of mine from this year. Looking back, like in a few weeks, um, just overall like not a not a movie style that I ever thought I would be interested in or or like, but um, I don't know something about it like really just got to me. It's another bonkers movie. Yeah. Yeah, I think it and Bo's Afraid 
probably from your ex- explanation share like some DNA. Yeah, and if you think about everything everywhere at once, before, you know, last year or the year before that, I mean, like it seems that we're entering this new sort of weird space in film where you can kind weird of do whatever in. you want. Weird as in, finally, finally. Um, awesome. So number two, Eric, Poor Things, directed by Yorgos Lanthimos and starring Emma Stone. Uh, my number one for the year is a film called A Thousand and One. Uh, set in the 1990s and 2000s, it follows a single mother who decides to kidnap her son out of the foster care system to raise him herself as the two struggle with life uh, in a constantly changing New York City, uh, directed by A.V. Rockwell and starring Tiana Taylor. Um, I saw this movie, I think, in April, I want to say, and it just was like such a cool, great ex- like theater experience for me. Um Sometimes you just have those experiences. I think the year before that, it was tar for me where you're just like kind of blown away by something. Um, it maybe just hits you at the right time um, or it's the right story at the right time or whatever. Um, and that was like the film for me this year. And it was uh, really well shot, uh, really captured 90s New York City really well. Um, sort of felt immersed into something, you know, you've seen in in, you know, everybody's seen kind of, music videos from 90s New York and other things, but it really felt kind of immersed uh, in that world. So that was one thing I really loved. And it's another tension-filled story. Um, and the the character, the mother, played by Tiana Taylor, has a lot of faults, um, but is, like, good at heart. Um, so that was a really interesting character to, to see on screen. Um, and the ending, I thought, like, just kind of was it the, the icing on the cake for me. I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it, but... Um, just sort of, a sort of a chaotic ending that you think is like going to end poorly and it kind of does, but has sort of a, um, a positive outlook on it, which I thought was really good. And, um, yeah, that was my, my number one. I like that. That's a, it's not, it's not part of the mainstream, right? That's not like in the awards conversation this year. It's probably a movie. Not a lot of people have seen. I haven't seen it. Well, if you want to be a hipster, you gotta, you gotta, Stay away from the mainstream. So I don't want to be hipster. I want to be like, <laughs> I want to be mainstream. You want to be mainstream. I want people to look at me and think like, that is the guy that we all want to be because he is so every, he's so everyone, you know, <laughs> he's so main. Yeah. He's so everyone. Yeah. I like that. I like that perspective. That's an interesting perspective. I don't know if I agree with it. So I'm here trying to be like the top of the pyramid that everyone's like looking up like, oh, I see. that's the guy. And you're out here like you're on a different you're on like the ziggurat. You're on like a different thing altogether. You're trying you're to, on the Sphinx. You're, you want to be Jacob Elordi is what you're trying to do. I mean, who isn't trying to be <laughs> that, that? That's a singular dude. We watched me and my wife watch Priscilla a couple days ago. Oh, yeah. And she was just like, like, unbelievable. Yeah. This man is like the best looking <laughs> man that's ever existed. Yeah, he might be. He might be. Um, he's like lab grown. Yeah. Hot guy. I think he's Australian too. Yeah. Which is is like another like, damn. Yeah. There are a lot of like LA people who are sort of anonymously good looking and he has a very particular face, which I think is kind of what you need. Yeah. He's tall. He's skinny. He's got an accent. He can act. I don't know. We'll see. That remains to be seen. I'm, I'm kind of like, I need to collect more data. You prefer the Austin Butler Elvis? Uh, no. Mm. I, although I do think Austin Butler did a better voice. 
I feel like with some of these, like even Bradley Cooper and Maestro, when they try to do the voice, if they mm-hmm. can't really modulate it, they can't really like do the voice. And yeah. when it's like, awesome, or uh, not awesome other, uh, Jacob Elordi as Elvis couldn't like yell as Elvis. He only could really like do the normal mm-hmm. voice of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, it just feels like the kind of like limits, kind of limits what you can do. He was pretty good in Saltburn. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I might draw a bath after this, though. <laughs> you should or shouldn't, maybe. Yeah. Um, cool. So that is my uh, number one, a thousand and one, directed by Avery Rockwell and Sergeant Jan Taylor. Um, so, Eric, it is time. What is your number one film of 2023? We're going back to the mainstream here. Not the super mainstream, uh, just like a little mainstream. Number one for me is Killers of the Flower Moon, directed by Martin Scorsese, starring DiCaprio, De Niro, and Lily Gladstone. Um, also a past episode we did here on the Little Lens podcast. Um, unfortunately, from I watched 156, 57 movies last year. Um, but again, like I have a hard time you know, living in the present. I, all my movies I watch are from like... 1920s through 1960s i gotta i gotta find the i gotta get back into the real world um is what i need to do uh which is i think what i told leonardo dicaprio on our episode to come back to the to uh the modern day because he's not in it um but uh as i mentioned scorsese de niro dicaprio this is the story of the um osage killings that occurred in the 1920s um, Osage at the time were the richest per capita people uh, in the United States because they made a bunch of money uh, from the U.S. government who forcibly moved them onto lands that it discovered had oil. Um, based, this movie is based on the nonfiction book by David Grand, which is also awesome. And I would have put it in my top three books, except for I knew this was going to be in my top three movies and I wanted to talk about something else. Um, but just rock star, rock star stuff. It's a long movie, um, but it deals with one of the, I guess, like original sins of our country, which is like the forcible removal of native peoples and how the government handled it, how like the white people handled it, um, how history is sort of like not quite corrupted, but refracted through who gets to tell it, who wins, um, you know, who tells the story awesome acting really good directing really kinetic and like um i don't know very uh uh i don't even know there's like so many there's so much to say about this movie but uh i think for me it's just like so rewatchable there are so many different moments in this movie that are so good and like you know from him getting paddled to like brendan fraser standing up being like that's my client like memeable stuff uh, memorable stuff. Lily Gladstone's performance, I think, probably is going to win her the Oscar. There was a moment when she screams because her sister died that, like, still kind of haunts me. It was, I think, probably the most effect that I felt in the movie this year was seeing her, like, anguish and, and just, like, sadness. Um, it's also a movie about, like, goodness and how certain people, like, can never reach that pedestal. Um, and I think like DiCaprio's character gets offered several opportunities to sort of like hit the moral high ground and he just refuses to, to take it. Um, so a lot of good lessons in this movie, 
I would say. Um, and for that reason, it's, it's my number one. Nice. Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, yeah, it really was... It really does have a lot of really cool moments or just interesting uh, like film moments in that in that movie. And I always remember the, I think it was not the intro scene, but the scene where they have that music going and he's in, it's a train and they're kind of sifting through all the people and they're following kind of Leo to his, uh, his taxi where there's people fighting and stuff. And I feel like that was probably like a, like a, very Scorsese-esque um, scene, but it just felt really unique and powerful. Um, that's just one of the scenes, like you mentioned, um, Lily, Lily Gladstone's scene um, as well. But great. Good number one. Do you think he's done or think he's, he's going to make some more Scorsese? I think he'll work forever. Yeah. I think these guys work forever. Him and Spielberg. Yeah, De Niro. Yeah, I think they work forever. Yeah. It must be nice to retire like Quentin Tarantino. They probably think he's a, a loser. Like, oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. <laughs> I mean, what a great job. Like, why would you retire yeah. from doing it? Yeah, you get to create, work with people. You have full say over everything that happens, basically. Yeah. Yeah, why not? Why not? Cool. So Eric's number one is Killers of the Fire Moon. Um, go check that out if you have not seen it already. Okay. Um, we're going to s- swing back to Eric here. Eric, what was your favorite episode? Our episode, a little lens episode um, from 2023. So we did uh, 11, right? And nine of them were adaptations. Two of them were TV shows. The aforementioned Wool uh, slash Silo. And then we did Daisy Jones and The Six. Um, we're in our Oscar season now when the books get better when the movies get better I think uh, and I don't know I think for me this year is kind of a clean sweep with Killers of the Flower Moon I listened to that episode a couple of days ago um, on a longer dog walk and I felt like we did a really good job of breaking down the adaptation itself to say like you know there was some criticism that the movie was centered on Leo, the sort of like white male protagonist. And so we sort of broke down why that was the case. Um, and just detailed some of the like other elements of the movie. I don't know. I thought we did a good job of that. Uh, you know, I thought we had good energy, good, good repertoire. I think sometimes the Leo brings it out of us where it's kind of like <laughs> when it's one of your guys, it's a little bit more fun to talk about versus no shots at like other people. But when it's not one of your people, you know, yeah. you maybe don't bring the thunder quite as much. I feel like we, we brought, brought the thunder, it. we brought the oil, we brought the energy. <laughs> we brought all of it. We burned that oil up. Um, I don't think I've, I haven't re-listened to that episode since we posted it. Uh, but I, some of it has come back to me now. Um, and it really, it was fun. It was, it's a big, it's, it was also like... It's funny, too, because you would think that would be disappointing because that was one of the most anticipated uh, adaptations of the year. And a lot of times, because there's so much hype around it, people are disappointed with it. And the fact that, it, like, most people loved it um, and that we loved it and we loved our uh, discussion on it um, kind of just uh, has another, like, notch on the belt, just how great it was. Uh, I'll have to re-listen to that one. Um, 
But yeah, cool. Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, I like to, when we record them, like sit on them for a while. So when I listen to them, it's been a month or more. So I've sort of forgotten what's happened. Just so I can listen to it fresh, you know? Yeah, yeah. And if you haven't listened to it, please do. If you haven't read the book or watched the film, um, spoiler alert, but if you're interested in checking that out, please do it. Um, all right, this is a big this is a big Scorsese year for Eric. Big Leo year for Eric. I know. I like it. Yeah, all that build up and for it to be good is kind of, you know, makes you smile, makes you happy. <laughs> Thank you, Marty, for making a great film. We, we love it. Um, cool, so my number one, or my favorite episode from this year uh, was The Long Goodbye, um, which is a Raymond Chandler. I'm sure that was up there on your list as well, um, Eric. And it was just such a great movie. It's such a great book. And the conversation we had, I thought, was just really fun and entertaining because because the book is, is or I'm sorry, because the adaptation was kind of like loose and kind of played with different things and the character, um, I'm forgetting his name, the actor. Um, uh, Elliot Gould. Uh, Elliot Gould was just so great and loose and funny. I feel like it kind of translated to our conversation. Um, and we were able to sort of like make jokes and and um, kind of talk about the different weird moments and the Ernest Hemingway slash character in the, in the, in the movie that was funny as well. Um, and the changes from the novel too. Um, but yeah, that was one of my favorites. Also because it was probably the most unique adaptation we did. Um, at least from my perspective, I thought it was just like, you know, one of those books I that I was, you know, kind of on my list, not really sure about if I would ever read it, and then was really glad that I did, and really glad that I watched it, too, because it was never really on my radar. I don't even think I had heard of it until you two, you'd mentioned it. So it was just like an overall, like, really great surprise uh, going through that experience, and then um, and recording it and putting it out in the world for people to uh, hopefully enjoy. So that was my uh, number one. This is your like your greater theory of Murakami. Murakami is likes Chandler, right? And you like Murakami. Mm-hmm. So now yeah. you're one level deeper oh. into the whole experiment. <laughs> so after I complete Murakami, I got to complete Chandler. It never ends. <laughs> It'll never. <laughs> and there'll be somebody else. Christ. Yeah. I actually found one of his. I found the Big Sleep uh, hardcover edition of the Big Sleep in one of these like library book sales that I grabbed. I don't think it's the first edition, but. So if you want to do the big sleep, I got it. Yeah, Humphrey Bogart. We probably, we could see if it's streaming somewhere. The people want to, you, you got to watch a black and white movie though, you know? I know, it's tough. Hey, I saw Maestro this year. That's true. Big year for cigarettes. Uh, Bradley Cooper <laughs> in that year. movie is like constantly smoking a cigarette. He, I think he he might need to get his uh, his lungs checked because that was that was a lot. And then Long Goodbye, of course, like the way he lights his matches on various items. So good. What a great, what a great, what a great movie. But you know, like Um, he was probably smoking real cigarettes, Elliot Gould, while they were filming. And Bradley Cooper probably was not smoking real cigarettes. So like, how bad do you want it? You know, you want to win an Oscar? Like develop a crippling (laughs) nicotine addiction. That's what I say. That's true. Honestly, that would be great. A great little article for Oscar bait. Bradley Cooper has develops lung cancer for his role as <laughs> Leonard Bernstein. Yeah. Okay. Everyone be like, that'd be tough. Okay. They would have to give it to him. <laughs> um, well, cool. Um, so that is it. That, that is our top books and top films and favorite episodes uh, from the year. So thank you for listening. If you made it this far, 
Uh, and if you have any favorite adaptations, favorite films, favorite books, or one of our favorite episodes, feel free to reach out to us and let us know what they were. Uh, we are always interested to hear from the people um, because we are of the people, for the people, by the people ourselves. Are we, Eric? That's right. I'm, I'm on That's top right. of the pyramid looking down at all you listeners. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphorically. Main man, Eric. Metaphorically. Yeah. Um, well, cool. Thank you guys so much. Um, and, you know, good luck in 2024. Wish you all the best. Uh, and there will be more to come. Stay tuned. And uh, Happy New Year. And thanks for listening. <laughs>